Thanks for joining us today for the Ramp Church podcast. We pray that you will be encouraged and empowered by this week's message and you would encounter God wherever you're listening from. If you'd like to know more about Ramp Church Manchester or would like to partner with us in giving, visit us over on our website ramp.church/mcr or find us on social media. Now, let's go into this week's message. incredible service um, uh, left this morning and I'm excited to um, to introduce we have two speakers today uh, we, we love to make space for fresh voices around here at ramp church and this service is going to start off with one of those fresh voices uh, and Cameron Adair is going to be speaking this morning and I just want to just give a little a little introduction before she comes up she is finishing a year internship here at Ramp Church Manchester and she is you'll you'll um, soon notice like like my awful accent she has an American accent as well so apologies for that you get to hear some of that this morning but um she is she's come over from America and she's she's ending 12 months which she spent she spent months raising her own support to be able to come here and serve alongside of what God's doing here at Ramp Church and serve the serve the needs of our church serve the needs in our city and it's been amazing she primarily is pouring in to Ramp Youth uh, the young the young people of our community but more than just as much as that is she has a word in her in her um, in her mouth and I want you to hear that today I want you to come expectant break that notepad out and that pen and be ready to receive something from the from the Word of God through Cameron come on up Cameron yes help me welcome Cameron I almost forgot the mic. <laughs> you need that, don't you? Well, it is such an honor um, to be speaking to all of you this morning. Thank you, Pastor Joe and Stacy, for trusting me with this weighty thing to do. Um, I just want to say um, this last 12 months has been one of the best 12 months of my life for so many reasons, for all the stretching and learning from God, from getting to connect with such amazing people who love God all across the the world. I mean, there's so many different nations represented in this room, and I've gotten to engage with so many of you, and it has blessed me tremendously. And when I uh, got the word to come to Manchester, it was very suddenly, it was very like drop everything and do it now, because it was like within, what, three months, I had a dream of like come in January. That was like in September. And then three months, I was here, and I was like, oh wow, here I am. And this, I think, is my first real experience with um, following Jesus when it's not convenient for me. Um, not that what I'm doing is inconvenient, but just the way of it. You know, I'm having to live financially um, supported by God's generous people, and I don't have a job, and I don't really have a set career. Like, it's all based on trust and the faithfulness of God, and that's really stretched me in a lot of ways. And, um, one of the overarching lessons I feel like God has taught me throughout this year happened in a prayer moment about a month ago. And as soon as he said it, I saw just the thread line Jesus was writing this whole time, and I didn't even see it. And I was praying to God. I was complaining to God. Um, I was like, God, I love serving you, 
but I'm 22 years old and I don't have a career. I don't have a degree. After this, I'm on a volunteer visa, which only lasts for a year and I want to come back, but there's no even really guarantee for this. My life is generally unstable in comparison to the secular world around me. I look at most of my friends and most of my peers and they're on career tracks. They have cars, they have money, they have all these things. And I'm like, God, like I'm not even on track to have it. It's not even that I don't have it and I'm working towards it. Like, I'm not even on track. And the Holy Spirit so sweetly said to me, he said, Cameron, don't refuse the cross. And I immediately was convicted because I was looking at all the things that I thought I was entitled to. And God was saying, that's not the way I've chosen for you. In Matthew 16, or yeah, 16, 24 and 25, Jesus says, then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life would lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And in that moment, I remembered in following Jesus, the cross is not an option. It is a requirement. In Matthew 7, Jesus says, the way is wide and easy. That leads to destruction. It's comfortable. Many go through it. It's the normal stream of life. But the way that leads to life, it's narrow and it's hard. But the end destination is so worth real life. So why is the cross required? Jesus, yes, paid the price more than enough. Like Pastor Joe was saying, the blood is enough. But at the same time, Jesus gave an example of the way in which we should live, picking up our cross and killing the thing that is killing us. Jesus didn't ask us for a cross for the sake of suffering. Jesus is not interested in your suffering. He's interested in your life. And he knows that the way to real life is different than the world's standards of life. That's why it's so easy to get wrapped up in the path of destruction because it's easy and it's comfortable. And I felt that even in my own journey, praying to God, like, God, I'm living missionally, though I love it and the fruit is amazing and there's glory here and now, I'm experiencing a difficult way. <laughs> it's not convenient. But Jesus knows that settling for the comfortable things is ultimately to our end. It's ultimately to an empty life. Jesus says in John 15, if you obey my commandments, abide in me, your joy will be full. And he said that in John 15, but in John 7 and 12, he talked about a hard way. He talked about the narrow road. He talked about a cross and denying yourself. So Jesus knows this secret that we as humans tend to not know that suffering does not mean death. But suffering is the real path to life because there's these counterfeits that the enemy has constructed to look big and comfortable. And, oh, if you have a career one day where you make lots of money and you live in a nice house and you have a cute little family, your life is set. But all the while, we're unaware of the condition of our own soul where we have a cancerous disease called sin and rebellion against God. It's, it's separation from God. Sin doesn't have to be big and obvious. If it was big and obvious, we wouldn't struggle with it, right? We all know, okay, that's bad. Don't do that. But it's subtle. It's these little moments of settle for lesser than. Settle for less than the abundant life Jesus has given to us. It's this settling. And it's, 
and it's glory now. It's not just I suffer now with, with obedience, but there's glory in the middle of it. Because the cross, this is the beautiful thing I love about the cross, is it not only was death, yes, Jesus died, and it was death to sin, but it was heaven came to earth and sin went to hell all in the same moment. Because in the moment when Jesus died, the veil tore from heaven to earth. God entered down in through death, and yet sin was put in the grave. So our death, as we pick up our cross and we follow Jesus, though there is death involved, there is new life entering in. So it's this simultaneously, my, simultaneous uh, happening where my flesh, my soul, what I want, what I think I need, the life that I desire or prefer, though that is dying and it is painful, I'm tasting something so much better, so much more worthwhile. It's real life. The only real life is found in Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And he's aware of that. He is good. He is good. I cannot emphasize that enough. When Jesus asks us to do hard things, it's because he's good and he's in it for our ultimate embetterment because there is a goodness in him that cannot be tasted through all these things that the world says that we should desire. And as I've been learning that in this journey of, of um, sacrificial living, you know, there's people with much harder lives than me, so I cannot complain but there are things I'm giving up. It's, you know, university and careers and all these things. But there's a glory that's so much better. I see it when I'm in our youth group. And I see our kids worshiping and praying and seeking God and being encountered by God. That's my glory. That's my joy. When I taste that, all, this, all the sacrifice of, you know, fundraising and being away from family, all of that, I forget it. Because I'm like, this is real life. This is joy. I see it when I'm volunteering in kids' church, and I see our kids laughing and having fun and hearing the gospel. That's my joy. That's, what the, that's why I picked up my cross. Not so I could live comfortably, so that the kingdom could come through. If Jesus said that the way of the kingdom comes through a seed that enters into the earth and dies, how much more should we, as co-heirs and sons of God follow in the firstborn's example of giving our life, dying to our own self so that it can be multiplied and we see heaven on earth. And my favorite passage is in Philippians 3. This is probably my favorite section of scripture of all time. I read it quite frequently, mainly to remind myself that I am not entitled to a cushy life, that I said yes to Jesus and my obedience is my choice and I love him and this is good. And it's uh, Philippians 3, 7 through 10. It says, But whatever gain I had, I count as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, and the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection, and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. 
and there Paul had accolades out the wazoo. He, if, you, if you looked at what the ideal Jewish life would be to have all of the riches and glory, Paul was it. He was the Pharisees of Pharisees. Among the law, he was perfect. And yet he counted all these successes as worthless in comparison to knowing him, even unto knowing him in his sufferings and in his death so that he can be raised in newness of life. And that's, that's the thing that God has developed in me through this season is knowing that the glory of Jesus here and now and the glory of Jesus to come, it far surpasses all of my preferences, all of my desires. And my heart in this is that you would be encouraged to do the same. Whatever Jesus is calling you to do. It may not be giving up a career, but, it, but there are sacrifices that we have to do. Jesus says, if any man follow me, he must deny himself and pick up our cross. It's all of us. And our crosses look different. But I just want to pray over you, encourage you to have the strength to say yes. To have the strength to deny yourself and experiencing the, experience the fullness of life and the fullness of joy that is in Jesus. So Lord, I thank you for this people. I thank you, God, that you've sent me here to them, to be among them, to do life with them, to receive from them, and to impart into them, God, to share life together, Lord. And I just pray, Father, for the strength of the Holy Spirit and the helper, the comforter, God, who, who come, you sent your Holy Spirit to comfort us because you ask us to do uncomfortable things. So I pray for the comfort of the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit to empower every person in this room to say yes to you, regardless of the cost, regardless of the difficulty, Lord, and that they would taste and see that you are good, that they would remember all your benefits, God, in the middle of sufferings, in the middle of sacrifice, God, that they would know your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Cameron. That was awesome. I love that. A life without sacrifice is a life without love. You cannot have love and not have sacrifice. So when we're talking about sacrifice, I'm not talking you've got to earn or strive. I'm talking about loving God back. I'm talking about receiving his love where it says in 1 John, this is real love that Jesus laid down his life for us. In Romans, it says a different way. It says, and we were utterly helpless and Christ came and he died for us sinners. We received it freely and now in following Jesus, we're following him on the way of love. We're following him, learning how to love. And if we are in a relationship with somebody and we're never willing to be inconvenienced, then we're not loving. If we're in a relationship with someone and we're never willing to sacrifice, we just have lip service. And I want this to be a place. I want it to be a company of people where we are so in love with God that he could walk up and do what he's done in other places, you know, in Hamilton like he did for Cameron, and he could tap somebody, he could whisper in the atmosphere, I need some people to go to Manchester and help them come out of the pandemic. And we would be so sensitive, so willing, that we would jump on. 
that we could catch those little nudges of Holy Spirit. We would be so tender to him that he wouldn't have to pass us by and go to the next church. Or he wouldn't have to shout or send Gabriel. He could just whisper. I need you to go over to Uganda. I need you to go down the street to your neighbor. And I need you to be my hands and my feet. And because we love him, because we're willing, we go for it. And you can tell how willing you are by how much joy you have in doing it. Willingness and joy correlate with each other. So if you say, oh, I'm willing. Remember, Paul talks about this in Corinthians 9 where he's talking about cheerful givers. He says, do it willingly and do it with joy. And what they say, in opposite, he says, don't do it begrudgingly. So you know how willing your spirit is by how much joy you can draw from the most mundane things. The things that you're doing for God that just make no sense. Right? And then you know you're doing it because you love Jesus, not because you love the task. Sometimes we love serving him because we love what we're doing. I'd love to talk to people maybe if I was even not even saved. I'd be jabbing somewhere else in some other field, you know? So I can't connect. I mean, I can, oh, I love to preach because I love Jesus. No, don't, don't compare. Ask me to clean toilets and then ask me how much I love Jesus, right? Ask me about cleaning the house when the kids have been all up in the mess and see how willing and joyful I am. There's the real indication of how much, how much joy I can just get because he's asked me to do something. He's given it to me to do. Oh, Lord, help us to be so just in love with you. Just in love with you, Jesus. That you could come and you could send us and you could wreck our plans. You could interrupt our day. You could interrupt our decade. (laughs) You could do whatever you wanted, Lord, and that we're just so attuned to you, so willing to serve you so grateful for what you've done that you don't feel you're walking on eggshells when you have a request in us. Help us, Lord, to be that way. Now, I want to just carry on just a a bit with, uh, in Mark chapter 8, verse 31, Jesus began to tell them that the Son of Man must suffer many terrible things and be rejected by the elders and the leading priests and the teachers of the religious law. He would be killed, but three days later he would, he would rise from the dead. And as he talked about this openly with his disciples, Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him for saying such things. And Jesus turned around and he looked at his disciples, and then he reprimanded Peter. I love this back and forth reprimanding. It's just such a beautiful glimpse into real relationship, right? This back and forth. So then Peter gets reprimanded, and uh, Jesus wins on this one because Jesus says to Peter, get away from me, Satan. He said, you are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. Then calling the crowds to join his disciples, he said, "If if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. And take up your cross and follow me. And if you try to hang on to your life, you try to keep control of your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life, if you surrender your life to Christ, you will find it. You will save it. 
What do you benefit if you gain the whole world but you lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? And then he concludes by saying, if anyone is ashamed of me and my message in these adulterous and sinful days, the Son of Man will be ashamed of that person when he returns in the glory of his Father and with his holy angels. And it's similar to what Cameron was just saying. Just to wrap up what she was saying, I have one other thing I want to say um, after this. But Jesus is there talking about exactly what she was just talking about. What does it look like to love God on earth? How do you express and manifest God? How Jesus came and he revealed God to humanity. How do you reveal God? It, it required Jesus to fully submit his will to the Father and sacrifice. And then he calls those who follow him to do the same, to give up their selfish way and to embrace his way, the path of love, this sacrificial God love life. And Peter, when he's hearing this, he's like, no way, this can't be. The son of God is going to die. And I, I'm just telling you that kind of, that kind of thought process is, is very much woven into the thread of all of our discipleship. It's like, wait a minute, God, to follow you means that? I thought, like, Peter was thinking, like, thrones and, like, overturning Rome and, and positions of power, and Jesus is having to readjust this whole mentality of what it means to follow him and this mind renewal process. And he says this one phrase. He says, you are seeing things from merely a human point of view, not from God's. And I want to just encourage you, Ram Church, on the back of everything that she had said, your life with Jesus has to be seen from God's perspective if you're going to see the glory in it. If you want to see the glory in you following Jesus here on earth, You've got to see it from God's perspective. Because from a human perspective, it looks foolish, Paul says. It's foolishness. But there's glory in that full surrender. There's joy in that place of being with Christ. In living fully for him. And following him. In being in close proximity to Jesus. That's what all, oh, when he says, follow me, I think of proximity, right? Like when you're following somebody, you've got to stay in close proximity to them. This, this call for us to follow him, to live this life of love, to receive his love, to live a life of sacrifice, to experience the love of God. This means that we can be in close proximity with the God who created everything. This is mind-blowing, but sin dulls our senses to it. But we won't get into all that today. All right. <laughs> and so then God can call us, and we're like, eh, what else is on the table? Any other, any other options here? God wants, God wants me to follow him, but hey, let me check out career first. Let me check out wealth first. Let me check out sex first. Let me check out all these other things. I'll get back to you, God. I want to be one of those. You know, I, I, pass, I pass a Southern Cemetery a lot. You know, that big, uh, big cemetery right off Princess Parkway. So I drive by that a whole lot. I'm actually thankful for that because I look over there, and it's such a valuable reminder, like, that's going to be me one day soon. I'll be there in the, in the ground, but my spirit up with Christ, and my life here on earth is going to be, bam, over. 
done. Sealed, signed, delivered, she's gone. And I love just looking at those and just thinking, oh my gosh, this, I've got to stay awake. I cannot be like a little kid with money, spending it, spending it, spending it. And they get home and they're like, oh, I need more money. I spend it all. And you're like, what'd you spend it on? And you're like, uh, I don't know, candy. I mean, I feel like that's me in my life sometimes. It's like, you know how money goes, how fast money goes, right? And you don't even know where it went. That's like our life. Here we are spending our life. And then we're like, whoa, what happened? How am I this old? What have I done with my life? I'm telling you, Ramp Church, you need to stay awake. You need to realize you are worshiping something. You are giving your life to something. You are sacrificing for something. Make sure it is Jesus so it will be worth it. So that you will have this confidence when you approach his throne. And you won't shrink back. But you will be confident. When you stand before and give account for your life. Do you ever think about that? Come on, do you ever think about that moment? You need to think about that moment regularly. Where you stand before the glorious creator who gave his life to save you. And he's going to want to know, how did you budget that life that I entrusted to you? Give it all to him. Give it all to him. All right. There's so many things from Peter, okay? So that even what he just said, he says about discipleship in Mark 8, he says, um, you've got to see things from God's perspective to really get the glory. Another thing that we learned from Peter is in Matthew 19, where Jesus is talking about the rich young ruler And he says to the the rich young guy, he says, you've got to give up everything. And the guy goes away sad. And Jesus says, truly, I tell you, it's harder for a camel to enter the eye of a needle than for a rich person to come into the kingdom of God. Peter speaks up again. Aren't we so thankful for Peter, who's who's always voicing everybody's inner thoughts. And he says, hey, we've given up everything to follow you. What's in it for us? Like, are we in or are we out? And and what's in it for us? And Jesus gives that promise, and he says, truly, truly, I tell you that anybody who's given up all of these things, these houses, mother, brother, father, sister, land, businesses, for my sake and the sake of my kingdom, in this life and in the life to come, will receive a hundredfold back. And that statement right there that Peter makes is such a true statement of discipleship. We've given up everything to follow you. Now, that doesn't mean that you may have to, doesn't mean God's going to ask you to sell all your possessions, doesn't mean that um, you're going to have to move nations, doesn't mean any of that, but it could mean that. And that's the bottom line. It could very well mean that. And if that is your path, then you've got to know what Jesus said, those truly, truly statements. They're worth their weight in gold to, to have those promises. And another thing Peter says is after that, uh, in John 21, where Jesus and Peter are kind of ending their life on, on earth together before Jesus ascends to heaven. And in John 21, Jesus says, uh, Peter, there's coming a day when you're going to stretch out your hands and somebody's going to lead you where you don't want to go. And he's talking about how Peter will die, how he will end his life. It will be a life of martyrdom for Peter. And Peter speaks up again. And he looks, he looks over at John and he says, well, well, what about him, Lord? Okay, so, so I'm about to die, but, but just tell me, is it going to be worse for him or is it going to be better than him? Like, did I do something? Is this because I denied you? Am I, is, it, is it punishment? Or, and Jesus said, 
I love what, in fact, I want to say this because this is, again, so important for following Jesus. Yes, you may have to give up everything. Yes, it's worth it. Yes, there's these, this, this heavenly perspective, this heavenly lens that you have to have when you look at your life. In John 21, Jesus replied, If I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? As for you, you follow me. This is so good because in our life with Christ, you're going to have to remind yourself your journey with Jesus may look different. But stop looking over at John and wondering if he's got it better or worse. You follow Jesus. You follow Jesus. You keep your eyes on him and you stay focused on what he's asked of you and where he's leading you. If you get caught up thinking about John and, well, maybe he's got it better, maybe Jesus likes him more, you're going to spiral into despair. And then you're going to spiral into self-pity. And let me tell you, self-pity is a hard pit to get out of. It's dark down there and nobody likes it once they're stuck. (laughs) You've got to keep your eyes on this Jesus who's calling you, who has a path and a plan for you. I want to ask the band to come back up. You know, the thing about obedience that even Cameron mentioned, you know, she had a word, she came. And I'm so glad that that Cameron obeyed that word. And oftentimes, I think we, we focus on our obedience like it's just between us and God. And we forget the impact our obedience has on other people. We forget that our disobedience impacts people. We think, oh, well, if I don't do it, God will find somebody else. But is that really the mentality that we want to have floating around in our head? Oh, well, if I don't do it, and then when we get to heaven, we may have a few rude awakenings. We may see things perfectly and be like, oh my heavens, I didn't do that. And now I can see the, the, the domino effect. We'll be able to see the domino effect of our obedience and with perfect clarity, we'll know fully We'll see perfectly, and I think Jesus' blood is strong enough and his grace so good, I don't think that we'll be regretful, but I think our obedience enlarges our capacity in heaven for joy and glory. I think that's part of our reward. Throughout scripture, all these promises about our obedience and this reward and the crown of life that, it, that God has for us and the inheritance. And I just wanna, I want to probe you, Ramp Church, I want you to look ahead of your year. And I just want white flags in every department. These flags of, dis- of surrender. And just where the arguing ceases. And just where you say, Lord, I want to be willing. I want to be completely willing to do whatever you ask of me. And you know what? For the month of December, it may not be some kind of epic, I want you to go across the ocean and relocate your life. It, for the month of December, in a month that's so prone to distraction, it may just mean, what does sacrifice look like? It means you just show up in His presence. You stop giving Him just the car ride, and you give Him a little one-on-one intentional time. I mean, let's break it way down about what does sacrifice look like right now? It may mean you tune out of other things so you can tune more fully into God. 
It's like the month of December, we're celebrating the birth of Christ, the arrival. And it, it, it can feel kind of like Martha and Mary, right? We're doing like all these things because Jesus is born and we're, and we're celebrating that he's here, that he's come. But we are stuck like Martha in the kitchen. And we're getting resentful for all the people that are just laid out in his presence. And Jesus is the, Jesus is the point of the party in December. <laughs> Jesus is the point of the this, this celebration and maybe sacrifice and love for you this month looks like give him a little time. Give him extra time. Give him some extra. Let him have access to that. That extra, that extra income. When you've got a choice with your free time, give him some. He's so worthy of that. John says, the Apostle John, he says, and his commands aren't burdensome. They lead to life. They lead us to his life. I want you to purpose in your heart to make room for him this month. Make room for Jesus this month. There's one of, to me, the most astounding paradoxes in the whole Christmas story. The Son of God is about to break up on the scene of earth and there was no place for him at the inn. He had to stay in a manger. Does that not just, out of all the paradoxes, there's lots of paradoxes in the Christmas story, but like the fact that the woman had to give birth in a manger to the Son of God, that is like, whoa! And why? Because there was no room. And I feel like that's, oh, I feel so convicted when I read that. I feel like Christ comes and he shows up in my life. He comes and takes residence in my life. And there's not much room in there. So he gets stuck in a manger. <laughs> But we need to make room for him. We need to give him time. And I know, oh my gosh, is it not? Why is it that December seems to be the busiest month of the entire calendar year? Sometimes it's like mind-blowing how many things just want to cram their way into the calendar in December. I'm telling you, Ramp Church, I'm saying there's one place where your soul is going to find what it needs. There's one place where your soul can truly exhale. It's in his presence. It's in his presence. There's one place where you can unload that pressure and it can take it. It's in his word. You need him this month. You need him every month, but you need him this month. I want us to make room for him so that if he, that he can even speak into these big radical things. I want us to have room and space for him so that his word, like Mark 4 says, isn't crowded out. You know one of the things that choked out the word in Mark 4? It says it was crowded out by pleasures, by wealth, by worry. The word of God in Mark 4 choked out from pleasure, pleasures of this world. Then the New Living says, desire for other things, lure of wealth, and concern. Let's just make room in our hearts. Let's determine that in December, we're gonna give him the sacrifice of our time. We're gonna give him our extra. Where everything else wants our extra, let's consecrate it for the Lord. And let's just stand to our feet right now.